Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope You Heard This podcast. And today I'm joined by Chuni Peck of Zealand. And I asked Chuni to be on the podcast just to have a conversation. I think I had two questions that I was going to ask him, but other than that, it's, it was just a random and free flowing conversation. And we just ended up talking a lot about the coronavirus, how it's impacting our community here in Atlanta, Georgia, and how it's affecting the Asian American community. And so we just ask each other questions about what we've seen and what we think our response as a community should be. So thank you so much for tuning in and hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast and we have a good friend on, uh, Mr. Chuni Pak of Zealand. Hello, welcome back. What's going on? How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> I think this episode might be, it will be the most unrehearsed, unscripted episode. Um, not, that the, not that any of the other episodes that I do is scripted or rehearsed, but we at least kind of know what topic we're talking about and how the flow of the conversation is going to go. But for today's episode, I literally just said, hey, Junie, let's just have a conversation on the podcast. And I threw yeah. out like two things that I wanted to talk about. But other than that, it's just going to be a freestyle conversation. It might, be, it might be that I'm beginning to miss human contact with the outside world. So I just want to have conversations with people. Um, I don't know. I don't know what spurred this. Yeah, but yeah, I, I know Chini and I, when we have conversations, it usually gets pretty interesting. So I thought that it would be <laughs> cool to <laughs> capture on the podcast. Oh, yikes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, though, um, first, I want to ask you kind of how you were doing um, during this whole COVID pandemic happening. Been doing well. Luckily, safe and healthy. Just have had quality time to be with my family. Um, my store, they do own a beauty supply, and it has taken, like, it's slowed down quite a uh, bit, I would hmm. say. But overall, God's still providing, which is amazing. Um, I've been able to work from home it's, you know, it's funny. You always dream that you can have it. And then I don't know if you felt this way. I'm slowly starting to miss seeing people at the same time. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> because everything is through a text now. Um, it makes me not want to respond even more. <laughs> um, the grass yeah, is I always think, greener on the other side, bro. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, Jane and I, what's funny is we've been experiencing, like, it feels a little similar to our time. I'm in Colorado where we're mm. long distance, but it's brought out really great communication and bonding between us, which is good. And I think wow. that distance will kind of, you know, people say like uh, distance makes the heart grow fun. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's exposed a lot of that for both of us, which is great. <laughs> it wow. makes us feel much better. And so, uh, yeah, overall doing great, man. How about you? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I mean, for me, it's same old because I work from home even before the pandemic. Um, so for my own routine, nothing much has changed. And I'm, I'm also going to church on Sundays because I'm part of the skeleton crew that um, helps out with the live stream of our service. So we, we have like four people in the sanctuary when, on Sundays. So even that, um, yeah, my routine hasn't really changed much. Wow. But for, for you and Jane, though, um, so for people who might not know, you guys are engaged and I recently saw on Jane's Insta story that recently you guys 
the the original plan was that you guys would have been in Colorado to take your engagement photos, right? Yes. So, I mean, how is that dealing with um, being right in the middle of like wedding planning and your engagement season and then suddenly not being able to do all these things that you had planned? It, it was definitely initially very stressful um, to the point where we didn't know what to do. I think they call it analysis paralysis. <laughs> We're spending so much time trying to formulate and calculate, okay, what's the move to make when the nature of this whole season is so unpredictable, right? Mm -hmm. Our date was September 12th. And if you move the date, you have to not only move just the venue, but all your vendors have to align on the same day as well. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was actually very stressful for Jane and I, especially her, cause she, she's like the one putting in all the work, but, um, we ended up actually moving it to March of next year and we were able to get everything on one day for all of our vendors. So that ended up working out. Um, but I think it's definitely not the best feeling because we both want to be together this year. Mm. But um, I think we have it upstream to hopefully have a small wedding just for our families and be together from there but even outside of that it's like how do you buy a house in this climate like um all those other things i know it's also cheaper now but yeah there's a lot of things to navigate yeah no i know um i actually have a close friend of mine uh actually he was one of my groomsmen at my wedding he was supposed to get married this may and for them they literally just had to cancel the wedding because they didn't know when it would be okay to get everything back together. Um, and the issue you were talking about with getting all the vendors back and getting venue rebooked and all that, they just, they just said, you know what, we're just gonna scrap the, the wedding. I think they're just gonna get um, married on paper at the courthouse. Wow. And yeah, they might do something small with just family or something later on, but they had to make the hard decision just to say, we're just gonna cancel the wedding. So, man, a lot, a lot of people right. going through similar stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's really weird that we get to live in this time, but it's, it also helps, like, I think we talked about it, TJ and I, like, okay, the marriage ceremony of it doesn't make the marriage. So how do we move forward as a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Apart from that, but. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> you know actually, I, uh, I don't know why this thought suddenly, or this question suddenly came up in my mind, but. I want to ask you, because you probably heard that discrimination and hate crimes toward Asian Americans has seen an uptick. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you felt any of that or do you see any of that? I was actually, this is, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you brought this up because one, it's, I saw today that it's on the rise in Atlanta mm -hmm. and for people who don't know, my fiance is a like a journalist. So she posted an article how a lot of Atlanta Asian American discrimination has happened, but they haven't been reported. And no action can be taken unless it is reported. Right. And so, no, I haven't seen it, but I think what I've been conflicted up, one, I think when I go in public, nobody really thinks I'm Asian, or maybe they do. But mm. I do worry for my mom and my grandma when they do go out 
and they shouldn't be going out right now. But um, right. I think the question I've also been struggling with is when is it time to raise your voice for something that hasn't happened to you yet? Mm. And, but I also recognize, like, I think, I think Martin Luther King said this, and he was like, in the end, we won't remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I'm wondering, like, like as for the Asian Americans who have experience, especially for the Asian American or Korean American churches, whatever, like, do they feel like they're alone because the people who have some so, sort of social capital have been silent during this time when they should try to intervene? I'm not really a social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. Some would call them snowflakes. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but... Um, like it's it's funny being on the other side seeing it happen to your your people yeah and um yeah it's yeah but then we could probably go on this topic forever but yeah. no but i mean because you, you have kind of a unique perspective because like, i mean because like when i first met you i didn't think i assumed you were mixed only yeah. because you're of your close association with you know korean americans but yeah. if i were to just meet you, I don't think I would automatically say, oh, that guy's Asian. But on paper, yeah. you definitely are Asian because your name, your legal name is Chuni Pak, right? Yeah. And the other side of your kind of lineage is, you know, black. So black. Yes. There, you've seen, because, you know, the, the discrimination against the black community is, has a very long history and is well yes. documented, right? So you've kind of seen it, uh, happened to one side of your peoples all along and then now you're seeing it happen to like the other side of your peoples right yeah. so do you i mean do you have any like opinions about that like well you put me in a hard spot but like <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's funny i do have a very unique perspective on this but man so being half black has been i think we talked about this very briefly i actually did i think listening back to it i never even said that i was half black in the first podcast that's right (laughs) (laughs) but um so i grew up my family owns a beauty supply and most of our clientele is predominantly black and it's always been a conflict and i think what's really unfortunate is that being mixed people would always shout racism at my family in terms of that we're racist when they look at me, but not knowing that I am a mixed child and I am also half black and saying race, calling my family racist doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, on the other end of being now like receiving um, racism at a more bigger or at a bigger scale, it's really discouraging when you hear other minorities who have faced hardships say, "Well, it's their turn," mm-hmm. or they are racist against other minorities as well, and it's almost like we're measuring each other's suffering and seeing and bragging about who suffered more. Right. And um, I, I see through the lens of racism because 
it wouldn't make it, it just doesn't make any sense. I think racism is a symptom of a much bigger problem that people have um, and an ideology. I just, yeah, there's so much to this as far as like, I've, because of that life experience of growing up in a beauty supply and growing up in the Korean church and just my family, like being with my Korean family, mm. culturally, I, I am Korean and I dive into that realm. But I'm also very American, not in, the t in terms of like what people want to call black culture, but I am very Korean and I, and I am very American. In, in regards to the black side. Um, but I think the hard part is people understanding that when you measure each other's suffering, you're not coming to a place of compassion and trying to understand one another. Right. And I understand like Asian Americans have actually been silent for a lot of suffering from, for a lot of other minorities, even though we're deemed the model minority. Um, but it's hard when to have a voice when we are underrepresented. Um, our culture is very Eastern in nature. We have a collective collectivist mindset, not an individualist mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, we're always pulled between the two ideologies of the squeaky wheel gets the grease or the, na the nail that sticks out gets hammered. Right. And as the Korean Americans, we have to see, and Asian Americans in general, we have to see that there's wisdom in both, but the context should drive which needs to happen at what time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like I'm getting a really long-winded answer right now, but I think if I was to respond to this, like it would be to this climate, I would be responding as a Korean American, not just like quote unquote black. And I'm also realizing like, I feel like racism is such a weird thing because it's purely based on skin color, not your origin. Right. Like if you hear about, I forget if it happened in text or whatever, the guy that went to Sam's club and stabbed like the six year old and oh, yeah. the dad river, all he said was, I attacked them because they look Chinese. It had nothing to do with it. I don't know if they were Chinese or not. I don't know the full like details or everything, but people are only looking at the skinny color or a profile that you may fit. They don't care about your point of origin. Hmm. And I think that's the dangerous part in all of this, because I'm wondering like when we think of Asian American, like do people throw in Indian American as well? Because when you hmm. think of Asian American, I'm not sure many people go down that route when right. you think of Asian American. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, for the coronavirus, for sure. <laughs> I think it's, do you look Chinese or not? I think that's the kind of parameter that needs to be like, that's the measuring stick, right? Like how Chinese do you look? And one interesting thing that you brought up was kind of the comparative suffering. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is very interesting because it is true that I, I don't think the Asian American community as a whole is super vocal when there are injustices in terms of, discrimination that happens to let's say like the black community right yeah um but it, it is a weird thing um to see when asian americans are being attacked um maybe even by like uh, uh like the black community it's weird to see that 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, because I, I guess I can understand the, well, you didn't help when I needed help. So why would I help you when you need help? Like, I can understand that mindset, but I do agree that I don't think it is helpful. And if, if anything, I think what the Asian American community should take away from this is, um, yeah, we, we should strive to see representation for all minorities and to seek justice for all minorities. So you, I think when we come out of this, I think the Asian American community should be more vocal about um, things that happen to other minorities in terms of discrimination and hate crimes and things like that. So that's, a, that's, that's an interesting perspective that you, you brought. What do you think being more vocal looks like? Is it just an Instagram post? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. not that I don't want to undermine the power of social media. Uh -huh. I think for me, what vocal looks like is in everyday conversation. So when you, let's say, I mean, we both work and in kind of offices and I'm assuming there are white people, right? Caucasians at your office as there are in my office. Um, it's very easy to hear some things that they say that can seem kind of innocently racist, right? Like they'll make a comment that they don't read. What was that? Microaggression? I think that's yes. what they call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, against other minorities. I think what vocal looks like is for us to step in to defend um, that minority, even if we don't belong to that minority group. Um, I think that is the most practical way of being vocal. And I think, you know, social media, I think really does help. Um, the more you can expose people to the fact that this is real, the more yeah. they'll speak out. I think that's one thing that's helping the Asian Americans right now. Um, during, because in the 20 some years that I've been in America, I've seen many things happen to the Asian American community. The first thing I saw, or I guess I heard about because I moved here right after, was the LA riots. Yeah. And I feel like there wasn't really much conversation about that outside of the Asian American community. One thing that comes to mind was you, there was a really bad tsunami in some, it was a Southeast Asian country. I forget where it was, but there was a radio station in New York that made a song kind of mocking the whole thing. Like that was like, I, I think hundreds of people died, but there was a news, they, the, the radio station, they made like a parody song, like kind of mocking the people dying and things like that. And I saw almost yeah. no, no one from mainstream media coming to the aid of the Asian Americans. Like the Asian Americans ourselves, we weren't really vocal. I remember, you know, uh, Jin the MC, MC Jin, Jin? Yes. Yeah, he came yeah. out with the song, kind of like, right? yeah. he, he came out with the song to kind of like, I'm saying that that's not okay. Um, yeah. But other than that, other than other Asian Americans, no one really said anything about it. So, but this time around, I am seeing a lot of mainstream celebrities actually coming to the aid of Asian Americans. I forget, you know, Jason Nettles, he posted a video um, and it was kind of a montage of people saying like, this isn't okay. And there were a lot of really influential and famous non-Asian American celebrities saying, hey, this isn't okay. Like Dave Chappelle was on there. Jordan, yeah. Jason, uh, what's his name? Something Gordon Levitt, Gordon. 
Joseph you know Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's right. Like he was on yeah. the video. <laughs> that's right. Uh, he was on the video, and like all these people were saying, "Hey guys, all these hate crimes against Asian Americans, it's unwarranted." And I, I don't know. There, there's a part of me that thinks that they're more aware of the situation against Asian Americans because of social media. Like all, all the like the tsunami thing that I talked about. Social media wasn't that huge back then. Like Facebook didn't exist exist back then. I don't think so. Um, like I don't think people really knew what was happening. But now that social media is such an important part of everyone's lives, yeah. Um, I, I think, like yeah. So all that to say, I think posting about it isn't a bad thing either. Um, and kind of getting your circle of friends to exposed to the fact that this is happening, I think it is helpful. Yeah. I feel like one thing I've always wondered is like, I wonder what binds the Asian American community together. Because I feel like if anything, like a time such as this should. Mm. Um, otherwise, like, you know, like, just because you look Asian or Chinese, you're affiliated with a certain profile now. Like you're dirty, you're a plague, you eat rats. <laughs> like there's an attack on being an Asian American and like your identity. And I don't know, like I think for a lot of people too, like there's a lot of shame that they walk with or maybe embarrassment being Asian American. Mm. One, one, I think a big reason is I don't think a lot of people know their roots. And I think a lot of people might be, I really, when I heard about the Asian American racism, I was like, of course this would happen because we already don't belong. People already say we don't belong here mm. anyway. Like nobody views us as American. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's hard when that ideology has come and then now we have to step and put our foot down and say, no, we are Americans and we do belong here and we do have a voice. We do have a purpose and there's a faith aspect to everything as well. And, um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't want us to miss our appointment, but I also feel like we can't go about it how the world expects us to go about it. And I don't Mm -hmm. think like throwing riots, doing acts of violence is the way to go about it i think there's a way we can handle it in our asian american way for sure you know what i'm saying and i don't know what that fully looks like yet um yeah i've been like really hesitant to be vocal about it just because i'm thankful jane is because she's in news and she sees everything from like a billion light years away kind of view. you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. but um like, because I know there are so many nuances to news details and people, as an analyst, you can't help but, like, try to be precise on every little detail on everything. But, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would hope that <laughs> when we walk out of COVID-19 or whatever, it's a less safe place for our kids and whatever, or whatever ideologies might be out there for our community. Hmm. Like yeah. it, oh, I just oh. get worried. A safer place for our people afterwards. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, like, good, good. Yeah. No, no, you go ahead. I was just say like we, we do everything other quote unquote Americans do as well. We pay our taxes. Yeah. We contribute to the community financially. Um, highly educated, skilled workers, um, and always outcasted. How about that? Anyway. Yeah. No. And <laughs> no. So I, I that I'm glad you brought that up because. 
I've been struggling personally about what that looks like, about what it looks like for Asian Americans to finally be accepted as Americans in this country. And because there's two kind of sides of the spectrum. There's one side is where we almost completely let go of whatever makes us Asian in our culture and completely assimilate into the Western, you know, American culture, right? And on the other end, it's we refuse that and we cling to our Eastern, our Asian culture and don't even step foot into, you know, whatever the Western culture is. And I I really, I don't know, like, yeah, the easiest way to be accepted is if we were to assimilate, right? But I, I don't think that's the answer. Like, we don't want to give up what makes us Asian, right? We, where I think we have, I mean, at least for me personally, I have pride in the fact that uh, my parents come from Korea and the fact that we have our own little culture that we, yeah. you know, that's kind of in our blood. So, like, well, I mean, what do you think? Like, is it, is it, do we need to, do you think Asian Americans need to assimilate more? Or do you, is there a different way to kind of make people understand that we are still American? Because the the reason I started thinking about this is, did you see that tweet? I, it was a letter that Andrew Yang kind of like put out there. Yeah. And yeah. the Asian American community was not happy about that. Because I think yeah. what it sounded like what he was saying is, hey, we need to assimilate more, is what it, yeah. what it, it sounded like. And yeah. I don't think Asian Americans liked that. So... I don't think that's the answer. So what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was going to ask you, so when you say assimilate, do you mean like just become more present in American culture and forsake your past or, cause I feel like you can do both. Hmm. I, I guess that's my stance. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So, so yeah. when, yeah, when I said assimilate, I meant, yeah, just completely forget whatever Korean culture or Asian culture that you have. And you know, like, step away from the whole thinking about the collective and thinking more individualistically and things, things like that. Um, that. That's what I meant. So, but can you elaborate on what you mean by you think you can do both? Yeah. So one, I will say when I read Andrew Yang's statement, mm-hmm. I'll say, this is a hot take. I do agree with him, but mm. I don't agree with the context in which he said it. Hmm. So, and this is what I mean. One, I, I do think Asian Americans should be more present in American settings, or some people use the term white spaces, but, and be more present and show your face and get involved in what's happening in the greater community and not be so siloed. Um, one, I understand the siloing as far as always being seen as other or seen as the foreigner, the perpetual foreigner actually. Uh, always being told, go back to your country. But um, I do think there is a beauty to being, for myself, like recently I just started diving more into what it means to be Korean, I guess, especially just when I got to visit my um, family in Korea for the first time, I got to see everything. And it's it's weird when you get to be in the place where that your family moved from to come to America. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, I think there's a beauty to the collectivism that should be held intact. Um, I just, 
there's so much to this. I think that um, one, we'll never hold our own identity if we forsake where we come from. And I think you can't do that. I think assimilate in terms of, yes, we should be more present in what is happening in our world. Um, and that includes church. I don't know many people that have like share faith with people that don't look like them or mm. maybe come from the individualistic westernized mentality versus your collective individual or a collective mentality, you know what I'm saying? Or Confucian mentality. And um, I think that is where we can make our mark and not being afraid to step in the moments. And again, in wisdom, not being afraid to be the squeaky wheel that gets the grease and lift your voice and also realizing, hey, my impact does a, my voice and the discernment and wisdom I choose to communicate to the rest of the world does have an impact on, how, on my community. Mm-hmm. That being the, the nail that sticks out gets hammered mentality. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know. What about you? What do you think? No, I, I kind of agree. Now that you said that, I agree with what you're saying. The Asian American community does tend to silo themselves. Like, for example, my, my parents, for example, they don't, they go to Korean church. They don't really go out to, like, um, their HOA, they're in their neighborhood. They have uh, yearly meetings and things like that. They don't really go out to those things. And in fact, I don't really even go out to the ones that our neighborhood has. Um, so I, I kind of, I agree kind of with what you're saying. There, there are opportunities for Asian Americans to be more active in the community, for sure. But I, there is a language barrier aspect of it. I understand why my parents don't do it because yeah, they, sure. they, don't speak, they don't speak the, uh, the, the language. The English. <laughs> the, the English, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, I agree, but like, I can understand the visceral reaction of the Asian American community to what Andrew Yang said, because yeah, it wasn't the right yeah, yeah. And it's like, it came from one of our own, you know, he, he was potentially going to be the first Asian American president, you know? Um, so, and we kind of really championed him. You know, I think it felt like a betrayal. Um, but I, I think there needs to be a meet in the middle kind of situation. As much as Asian Americans get involved in the community and try to raise our voices to be more recognized and represented, I think there needs to be on the other side, America, or like white America, black America, whatever it may be, they need to meet us in the middle and say, let's take some steps to recognize that not all of them are just straight from, you know, straight off the boat or mm-hmm. that they are foreign or that they have allegiances elsewhere. And yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that, that barrier right there, um, I think is personally, I think is what is most crucial in us finally being, you know, not viewed as, you know, the perpetual foreigner, as you said. Yeah. I also wonder, this is, I don't know, this might be a controversial thought. I wonder if it's because we tend to like marry our own. For example, me and my wife, there is nothing that stopped us from marrying, let's say like a white person or or a black person, right? Because we we understand the American culture, 
my wife was born here. I wasn't born here, but I, I came at a very young age. So there's nothing that really stopped us from marrying other races, but we married each other. And so our daughter is going to be just straight up American, right? Like she's, she, if she knows how to speak some Korean, I, I'm going to be very proud, but realistically yeah. <laughs> speaking, she, she's mostly just going to be an English speaker, right? Like she won't fit in at all if she were to go back to Korea, but yeah. because she's so recognizably Asian American in appearance, like, I wonder if, yeah, the fact that she's not mixed is a detriment to the Asian American community. You know, no, I take all that back. <laughs> I take all that back. I mean, there's, I, just, there's a whole other conversation because, you know, general, the public would say that Asian women are more desirable than Asian men. It's a whole different topic. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's, like, that's where it is too. But also, mm -hmm. I would say that, um, well, I had that option too. You know, I'm sorry, I had that option too. Mm -hmm. I felt, and especially like even before Jane, Jane, I love you. Um, like being an American church dude, being out of my comfort zone, mm -hmm. I felt even more so like there were certain, yes, we are in faith and we're under the blood of Christ, but there are some things we don't relate with at like a naturalistic level. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So no, even just so, like, good, good. I, I think it's this. I think it's this. There's gonna be some things like, like we said, we don't want to forsake our Asianness at all, right? We want to yeah. hold on to our culture. Um, so there are gonna be things that causes us to gravitate to each other, right? Like you marrying Jane, me marrying Shirley. There's a reason that happened. I don't think it was random or, co or random or by accident. Um, it happened because we have similar shared experiences. And I think the answer is to look beyond that, right? To look beyond that and say, even though there is something, there is an identifier that causes us to be slightly different, I think that difference should be celebrated and should be accepted as part of the American story. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> This is like I think many people have said this, but the timing of it with like you know BTS was hot, Parasite mm -hmm. just won. It seemed like we we're about to have our our shot in the sun, and then boom! Like now we're in this. Yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes I can't help but wonder. It may be self-imposed. Like, do people think I'm like dirty or whatever? Like mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you. It has crossed my mind. Like. Well, when I was earlier, I was saying how, like, I wonder if, like, church cares about the suffering that Asian Americans are experiencing as Asians who live in America and Asian Americans. Hmm. But also, like, me being an American church, one, like, I'm almost, like, I kind of feel, like, I don't want to be that guy who's saying, shouting racism against Asian Americans, but because so few of us are at our, at our church that it might look a certain way. Mm. And I'm not going to lie, like, there has been a certain level of, like, embarrassment slash shame that I might feel by raising my voice to people who don't understand. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, so I think that's the thing. So 
that's really that's a very asian thing right and i think that's why the asian american voice goes so underrepresented because it's built into us this whole shame culture of you know like i don't want to you know everything that you were saying so i wonder if that's why we're so underrepresented i'm I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong or right I'm, i'm just thinking maybe that is one of the things that we as asian americans need to try to overcome right because i mean if you if you really think about it kind of rationally even if you did raise your voice like are you do you guys care about you know the racism against asian americans i doubt that there are people at your church who are going to think any less of you for saying that right i mean probably not to be honest with you yeah yeah so but, but so i know I know it's the tendency of the church sometimes, and this is in general, to kind of stay out of political hot button things. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Because I understand they can be devices to a certain extent, but it should also give you, I'm not saying this about anybody's church. I'm just saying this as a general statement. Sometimes like you wonder like, as a church, do we care about the things that maybe should matter? And then at the same time, it's like, if you're Asian American, and you, and you have experienced it, maybe the question should also be, why do I all of a sudden care when my own people are being attacked and not when other people are being attacked? That's true, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's interesting. The idea of how vocal should the church be for other minorities? Because I know for sure our, our church, we weren't really talking about, um, you know, when like the Black Lives Matter movement was birthed and yeah. all that. I know our church wasn't really talking about it that much. Um, so is it fair for us to be upset that other people aren't being vocal about what's happening to us now that it's happening to us? Yeah, that's an interesting question, interesting thought. Hmm. So do you, well, what is your stance on that? Do you think it's the church should be kind of silent on that? Or I mean... Like, what's the idealistic situation? I think specifically Asian American churches more so because we come, we're cut from that same cloth. Mm -hmm. It should be on our list and of things that we should be praying for and also believing for Mm -hmm. because I think if you look at the black community, I think one thing that you'll find is, is that, they do find a sense of bonding through suffering. Hmm. And that can be a good thing and a, and a bad, bad thing. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not some expert on like black culture or I don't know all the history of the things that, and this is the word, do I say they or do I say we? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. um, just to give you an idea of what goes on inside of my head. But um, I do think that A lot of times, the the American Asian American church, I'm going to speak from a Korean American church, has been very irrelevant. And sometimes, I don't know if it's ignorance or oblivious or afraid of what's going to happen. Or like, again, like I understand people are about keeping the peace and the vision. Again, I'm also not a social justice warrior. I do think there are things that we should be praying for as a community. Cause like, 
I'm wondering when Christianity first came to Korea and they were under enslavement by their neighbors, the Japanese, I wonder if the church was just like, well, we're just going to turn our shoulder and not pray about people getting harmed and our Korean culture being sanitized or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think there was a pride in the identity that God had given them that allowed them to survive those times. And you, you hear the stories about Prayer Mountain coming together as a community, walking up the mountain, praying together, all those things. Um, I do think as a as the Asian American church and church in general, we should be praying for it. Yeah. Um, I don't think full-blown sermon needs to be said from the pulpit, um, but I mean, I think there are many, many times in the Bible where the Jews and somebody who was, God had positioned to be in a place of authority had made a move through that person who was convicted for their own people. Hmm. And yeah. Because so, like, hmm. go ahead, that's it. So you, you think that it's on the person leading or, or the entity leading this kind of charge against Asian American hate crimes, it, it should come from the Asian American community, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? I do, I do believe that, yes, yes. Mm. Okay. Um, it's one of those things where you kind of have like, we'll never be present otherwise. Mm. And we're, re we're relying on a third party to care about our problems. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's such a, there's so many different aspects of it. It's such a multifaceted issue. Um, I, I mean, I think we could talk about this all day. But yeah, I think where it starts, though, is prayer and unity, at least amongst the Asian American community, to really want to and believe for something better for if not for us, then our next generation. Yeah. Can, can, I, can I say something before we move on? Yeah. Are those three doors behind you? Yes. You know, <laughs> I'm low key very anxious right now because I feel like right. this is a scene from like a horror movie. And something's going to Because all the doors are open. I feel like, is there someone hiding in there? No, no. That's, so that's my closet. That's my bathroom. And then that's like the exit hallway. <laughs> okay. Because it's, it's like a little dark in your room too. This whole yeah, time, yeah. I'm kind of like looking at them. <laughs> yeah. Is my lighting okay? Huh? Is my lighting okay? No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Okay. It's, it's good on you. But then it's just because it's in the background. And that's just so that uh, you guys can know, learn a little bit about me. I think I get anxious about not just dark doors, but at night, if uh, the window, the blinds are open and it's just like a dark like window pane, I get very nervous. Like I have to cover it somehow. Like there is something about me that makes me anxious about that. I would think if it's nighttime, you would just close it because you don't want the light to shine in. No, that that's that is actually never the reason why I, I do the blinds. A hundred percent of the time, when it's dark, I close it so that I don't have to be in some horror movie scenario where like a clown like pops up and like tries to get in. Or something. Yeah. Uh, did you ever do the thing when you were a kid, like you'd flush the toilet and then run away? <laughs> what? <laughs> 
I was always afraid that a hand was going to come out of the toilet and like grab me. <laughs> I think that happened like some Poltergeist movie. And once I saw that, I was like, nah. And I was like, yeah. I, I used to run to the toilet every time I flushed it when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Interesting. No, okay. I, I had other irrational fears as a child. I, I, I was absolutely scared of uh, bathrooms and airplanes. So I would, at, when I was in elementary school, we almost yearly went to Korea back and forth. And yeah. every single time, it's like a 14 hour flight. So I, well, I lived in LA, so it was a little, it was like 12 hours, 11 to 12 hours. Every flight, I would make it a point not to have to use the bathroom. So I would go <laughs> 11 to 12 hour stretches, not using the toilet because I was afraid that I would get sucked in and I would like be dumped somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Or I guess the, yeah, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Do you, bro? <laughs> okay, but yeah, get, getting back on track. Um, so you know, thus far we we haven't talked about um the two topics that I, I mentioned. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you about that. It's 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 related. What do you think about the reopening of Georgia? Um, because Governor Kemp, Brian Kemp, he's getting a lot of backlash from the rest of the country. Even uh, President Trump said, I don't agree with this guy, which is weird. Because yeah. at first I think he was like, oh, good on him. But I mean, whatever. So you personally, what do you think? Or do you have any opinions about Georgia opening? So at the surface, I, I think it's too early. Um, I understand, and I don't know every nuance of this, I have to say this, but like, Okay, one, I'm curious about what the data actually looks like that he's using, um, especially when you hear about mislabeling of certain, like, COVID incidents and maybe deaths and how they're just, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's so hard to tell and discern what's what. But I also understand that there's an economic impact for people who work certain job types that, one, they might not be a beneficiary of the stimulus check thing, uh, and they also might be struggling financially just being closed these past six or seven weeks it's been. Hmm. And um, sadly, unless there's like a rent freeze kind of thing, those people still have to pay bills. And yeah, I don't know. I think overall, I think it's still too early. My problem is I don't think you can be like, yeah, we didn't know that it could be spread asymptomatically. And then... And then put it on shutdown, and then four weeks later, four weeks later, be like, "All right, yeah, let's open it up." <laughs> like, okay, what? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe I I remember watching that press conference where he said, "We now know that it can spread asymptomatically," and me and my wife, we were so confused because we thought it was common knowledge at this point, and so we were trying yeah. to figure out: Is he saying that, like? there's something new information that came out like it's more contagious when it's asymptomatic or like what is he trying to say so no no I, I agree I, I think it is a hard hard situation because yeah like there there's you can be empathetic toward both sides right like yeah on one hand we we have a and a couple of our friends who are actual nurses shout outs to Nicole and Selena um but like we we don't want them to be overwhelmed by the 
surge of new patients because I don't think the infrastructure, the healthcare infrastructure at least is really equipped to handle that kind of thing. But on the other side, there are people who probably have to shut. I'm, I'm interested to see how many small businesses shut down after the, after all of this, because I'm, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of small businesses that weren't able to get, you know, those loans. Um, and they weren't able to get enough money to offset the debt they, that they had. So, you know, like, I don't, I don't think we can discount them. So I, I don't know if, if you personally, Jenny, if you had to say, I think we should wait, or I think we should open up, which side would you lean more toward? Like I was in the governor's seat right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would, I would definitely say we should probably wait a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Because ah, it's so this is going to be controversial. I actually might say open up. Um, and that's because, see, actually, you know what? I'm going to say this. This is the reason why Andrew Yang needed to become president. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we needed the UBI. Like, because if we had a UBI, this, this wouldn't be an issue, right? True. Right? Absolutely true. Yes. Yeah, but because in georgia at least um i I know the numbers are pretty high i think infected was like twenty thousand. is that is that right do you you remember the latest numbers of covid cases or death cases i think deaths is like 800 right yeah i thought it was fifty thousand. i could be wrong no no i mean yeah you might be right i don't know i don't have the numbers in front of me but um yeah just Looking at the number of deaths, like I, I would be interested to see what the actual like comparison is. What do you rate? Yeah, I mean, well, not not even that. It's just <laughs> the number of people dying. I, you know, I'm like you. I want to see the data. The, the people who have died, is it strictly because of coronavirus, or were they already very sick, or like were they very old? You know, like yeah. Because that's exactly what I'm wondering. Like, are, is it, are they saying it's a COVID death because they're dying but between the time frame of when COVID started or is it an actual death due to COVID? Right. Because yeah. to, to tell someone that you can't open up your business and because I, I know this because Shirley is trying to open up her own business. And I got to say, thank God that she didn't open anything up before all this happened because if she had opened up a store and this lockdown happened, she probably would have had to shut it down, like completely just declare bankruptcy on the business because all that money and all the loans that we would have had to take to open it up and then see zero income coming in from it. Yeah. Like, I don't know how we would sustain that. Um, So uh, if we were to tell those small business owners who kind of poured out everything that they had, their heart, like sweat, blood and tears, into starting a small business and to tell them, hey, just wait a little bit longer. It's not enough to say, just trust me. You know, like you need to really give them compelling information as to why they need to wait. Um, and I, I feel like there isn't a lot of conveying of convincing evidence. Not, not evidence, but they're just not really. Yeah, I'm <laughs> what? <laughs> you're convinced um, so like 
Okay, there are a number of issues first. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're in where we are now because it wasn't taken seriously ahead of time. Sure, I agree. Mm-hmm. So I think when you look at, I don't know why we didn't think what would happen in China and Italy wouldn't happen here. Mm-hmm. And now we're still, so the other thing is, I still think it's also about managing um, bed turnover within hospitals due to lack of beds and equipment. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole flattening the curve thing is about. And so like opening early would only feed the curve. Yeah. But what about opening early with precautions? Now that we know how fast it can spread. Did you see some of them? What was that? Did you see some of them? The precautions? Like um, the, they have like the clear plastic thing between cashier and like people like masks. Yeah, limited number of restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And like, like check them at the door. If they had a fever, it's already like, <laughs> why are they even out there? But like, right. you know. Yeah. So, because again, I, I totally can feel for, I totally agree with flattening the curve. I, I, of course, I don't want to see people die from, from coronavirus, but I just don't want us as a state to lose sight of the people who are going to suffer financially and yeah. how that might translate to like actual physical health in the future. Because you can't discount stress that comes with trying to be an entrepreneur and then suddenly saying you're not going to be able to you know, run your business and, you know, stress can lead to heart disease. Heart disease can actually, you know, shorten your lifespan. So we're, we're never going to really know the full effect of that because that's really hard to quantify. But I, just because we can't quantify it doesn't mean I think we should completely dismiss it. Yeah. So, but I, I only really said that I think we should open up because I wanted to spark more conversation, but I <laughs> But I do agree. It's hard to defend that point, though. <laughs> it is. It is hard to defend it. It is because I no. I do agree that it might be too. It is probably too early. I mean, because the guideline is we have to see a declining in number of cases for two weeks yeah. before we can say that you know we should open back up, right? We haven't seen that in Georgia, so it's hard to defend the opening of it. But it's also, I don't think it's a situation where we can say you're a complete idiot, Governor Kemp, because you opened up the country, like you opened up the state. Like, I, I think there are some merits as to, you know, he probably oh, wants to sure. yeah, you know, help the people economically speaking, so. How much longer would you have let it stay closed? I, if I were governor, yeah. I think I would stick to those guidelines. Keep it closed until you know, we see a de- decline in the number of cases for two weeks. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. I know some people have said, yeah, they should have kept it. I think May 13th was the original idea or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or but I'm wondering, would, the, would those two weeks have helped? I'm thinking like maybe till, and yeah, I would, I would have kept it till May or mid-May. But yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard to say the total impact as you were saying. And like, I'm also wondering the model that they use to forecast. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I feel it's so hard to defend why it should be open right now. <laughs> Especially when you put out the context to everything else. It's like, 
yeah it's just you can't really defend much of it i don't know man yeah um but yeah yeah i mean just yeah i it's it's hard to say i would open it but again there are merits to why he might think that that's the best idea question for you yes on your 1200 challenge with that you're doing you when you go out to the restaurant like do you ever have conversation i know you can't probably face to face but like does it seem like the businesses are doing well or so it surprisingly well um it's hard to say in a single visit but i would have expected a lot of the so the local 1200 challenge for people who might not know it's i decided that i'm going to spend the stimulus check that i got at local businesses um so i've been going to a lot of different restaurants picking up food and trying to support them it's hard to say at uh, of, during a single visit how well they're doing, but I was surprised at how many people came in to pick up food for mm-hmm. almost all of them, of almost all the uh, businesses that I went to. So um, the ones that are still open, like curbside and drive-through, I think they're suffering. They're probably not suffering as much. I think the places that are suffering are where like cafes that largely rely on like a social atmosphere to bring people in you know Mm -hmm. bars um there was a there's this in edmala georgia there was this really cute um like gaming store that opened it's not a store it's like a gaming spot where there's like a spot to play board games there's another spot to play like video games and things like that and there's like little arcade things along the side like that business, it, it was brand new when it opened. And we, me and my wife went there for my birthday. So it was early March. And it, like, it looked like they had just opened. Like, I, I really feel for that guy. There was a single guy running it. It was obvious that he was the guy who opened up that spot. Yeah. And yeah. I can only imagine, like, what is he doing? Like, he, he probably poured so much of like himself into opening that. But there's, he has no way of getting any sort of income. It's not, you can't do curbside pickup on stuff like that, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are the local businesses um, that I think is probably suffering the most. But in, in terms of, to answer your question, um, the businesses that I've been to, I, people are still eating out. People are still picking up food. So I think they're, they're doing pretty good. I, I mean, obviously, I'm sure they, they do see a decline, but I think they're not... <laughs> yeah so is this worse <laughs> is this worse no no this is good it's good it's good yeah but you know so but so because you touched on how earlier if we you know took the lesson from china and italy how bad this could be if we acted better, like we could have avoided this whole situation, right? But I wonder how much of our civil civil liberties should the country have taken to flatten the curve? And what I mean by that is, I recently saw an article, or it was a news segment about how Taiwan, the little country right next to China, they almost have zero deaths. I think the number of deaths that they have from COVID-19 is in the single digits. And wow. 
people thought that they were going to be the most impacted because they're right next to China, right? And people go back and forth a lot. But um, they think the reason why it didn't spread um, that much in, in Taiwan is because what they did is everyone coming out, coming into the country from a different country, they quarantined. Like they took special care to make sure that they can't spread, you know, what, whatever they had. Mm. Is that something that we could have implemented in America, you think? Because um, the other things that they talk about is also um, tracking, like uh, people tracking, like if there is a potential that someone had exposure to COVID-19, like we'll track where they are, where they go, so that, you know, if they do spread it, we, they can contain it by, um, being able to identify who they might have spread it to. Because some of those things kind of sound like violation Communist. of civil liberty, <laughs> right? Right, right. Communist, right? Yeah. So do you think that's something that should have been done? Or um <clears throat> I think one no. <laughs> um what were the two main points? One, like, should civil liberties liberties be taken so that during this unique time, things mm -hmm. could have been better? Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's basically the main, that's the main question, yeah. Okay. Um, this is the beauty and the pain of individualism. Mm. <laughs> Because I don't, I think Western culture highlights individualism. And I think that's also America is so unique that geographically, <clears throat> not all population densities are equal. Right. Equal in terms of, <clears throat> I forget what the actual term is, but people per mile, whatever, like, mm -hmm. There are way more dense areas in the U.S., such as New York and, and L.A. versus, I don't know, South Dakota, Idaho, or, yeah. or yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and I think that's the also other reason. I think aren't if I'm, if I'm incorrect, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the state government has the power to dictate how they govern each state according to the quarantine, right? If you think about the language self-quarantine, mm -hmm. it's like you decide whether you want to go quarantine or not. Right. You know what well, I'm saying? The, the state had the power to do that because the president said you can't. Like the, the Trump just basically said, the states figure out what you're going to do. Um, yeah. But I think Trump could have also said, well, this is what we're going to do because um, the federal government can trump states on a lot of things, I think. And I think this was one of the situations where if he chose to lock down, I mean, because Trump kind of did try to lock down the country, right? He, he yeah. said no immigrants for, for a time period. But yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. Ask you, what do you think about that? That's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's wrong. I mean, I, I think I, I'll, I'll say it. I think it's a bad decision on Trump's part. I think it alienates um, other potential, like uh, aliens, ally countries, um, and makes America look dumb because I think he did it. Because nothing about the, the way... time of global pandemic. So, um, well, I mean, I'm just talking, I'm yeah. talking specifically about what Trump did because um, oh, 
the way that he, the country or his administration handled the the COVID nineteen wasn't great, and him randomly cutting access, like saying locking down in in terms of who can come into the country, I think at that point was kind of moot. I don't know. Do you yeah. think it should have been done early on if that was the case? Yeah, if he was going to do it, I think he should have done it as soon as we saw what was happening in Italy. Um, yeah. Actually, even before that, uh, I think like as soon as what was happening in Wuhan was being reported, I think um, at, at the very least, there, there could have been better response to that. Um, for sure. I, I actually do think, I, I think this for sure. I don't know what people are going to think about this, but I think what they should, I think what America should have done is um, once this broke out, every person coming from at, at the very beginning, every person coming from China, I think they should have quarantined, um, given them a hotel room somewhere and say, stay here for two weeks. And then in America, in America. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would that only perpetuate the Asian American racism? Maybe. Because if that was written into law, I don't know, law or whatever, mm -hmm. it's basically saying it is the Chinese virus. True, true. But, but so I'm talking, but what I'm talking about though, this is just really very early on when okay. there were only reports of it in Wuhan. But as okay. soon as it, you know, was started showing up in Europe and stuff, I think obviously they should have said, okay, everyone coming in needs to be quarantined. Because that, that's what Korea did, South Korea. So my sister-in-law, she was... Uh, studying abroad in France yeah and so she had to come home early but she had friends in that program that were straight from South Korea and so when uh, my sister-in-law came into the country this was she was I think it was in March or early April so it was like right in the middle of it no one said anything she literally just walked into the country and no one cared like I think they measured her temperature but that was it yeah. but in Korea the country they provided like hotel rooms like quarantine rooms for people coming in um to say stay here for two weeks and then like you know after that we'll see like we'll test you and all that kind of stuff so is it too much of a violation of civil liberties to say let's quarantine these people like let's put them aside somewhere what was that the non-us citizens or just everyone or any anyone coming from a different country is what I think that it should have been done. Okay. Regardless of citizen or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, should they have done it? Is it a constitutional infringement? <laughs> like, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, dude, this is such a hard question. <laughs> because, like, this is where I'm really American because I do enjoy my individual freedoms. <laughs> like, right. Um, but also, like, I understand that if I go out and fool around and bring it back to my family, that's on me. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. So, like, I feel like you would hope people have the wisdom to know, like, your individualism does affect the collectivism at your house, affect mm -hmm. whatever. You know what I'm saying? But no, I don't think civil <laughs> liberty should be taken. I don't know about diplomacy between non citizens and citizens. Mm -hmm. um, I do agree that it should there should be a safe space for travelers to go so they don't get it or infect other people. The yeah. hard part is if you put somebody who is infected and non-infected in the same hallway, 
play, you won't know until the two weeks later happens. Kind of thing. right, right. Um, I'm just running scenarios in my head. Do you hear the rain outside right now? No, is it it's raining like over pouring, there? It's pouring really hard, actually. I just oh. make sure it doesn't mess up. Oh, I heard that thunder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, no, I don't think civil liberties should be taken away. But wait, do you? That, that's what I guess. Yeah. No. So the question is this, right? It's are we? How much of our population are we willing to sacrifice to retain our civil civil liberties? When you say sacrifice, like because there's Allowed a trade-off or yeah because because okay. there's a trade-off right um if if we were a communist country and we locked everything down um if the curve would be very flat but because yeah. we're we're a democracy and we have individual freedom right we can't do that but there's a cost of that right there's the cost of that is pe more people get infected and more people die so yeah. i no I, i'm not saying that we need to revert to a communist or socialist or i mean just or i'm not saying that our our freedoms um should be taken away but i think there is a place to have the conversation like what measures can be taken during extraordinary times such as these to uh take away individual privileges to protect the collective i think under state of emergency, doesn't the president have the right to do that if it gets really bad? Not right, um, but I, I, I think I, I think I read that like under state of emergency, if it's really bad, he can enforce martial law. Yes, yes, that is true. But I think there are still kind of repercussions of that because if a president did that and it was it's not viewed as a popular decision, no, his reelection is at stake. You know things like that. So. I don't think it's something that they can wield willy-nilly, right? Um, and there's a moral choice that's attached to the decision, though. That, like, that's separate from the political. Mm -hmm. No, for sure, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I guess that's what's happening right now. People are wondering, is camp opening all for money and not thinking about people? Right, right. Right? Yeah, exactly. The argument could be made, are you only thinking of like, how are you going to get out of this hole? I heard that some people are saying it's going to take a long time to get out of this hole that the COVID thing has, or COVID pandemic has created financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I, I read a thing, um, it was on the news, Delta Airlines was losing $100 million a day at one point during the whole, whole uh, pandemic. Yeah. So I mean, big companies, small companies. Financially, this, this is gonna this is gonna be a crater of a a hole that is left financially speaking. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I I I enjoy these kind of conversations because it's there's no right or wrong. There's not one size fits all kind of answers to the questions that we're asking. Yeah. Um, I think in a perfect world, like. Does Korea have, so Korea, they're also, is it, are we the Democratic Republic? I think that's what we are, right? That's yeah. what we are. Right? Mm -hmm. are they, they are as well, right? Yeah. I know they have capitalism, but. but yeah, no, no, it's, it's a so democracy. 
Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, they were able to shut down too. Obviously, they're a much smaller country mm-hmm. with probably less subcultures and America has such a diverse geography, but like, I do think part of the lockdown for them that was easy for them to do was their ability to understand that like, like when I was in Korea, like if you were one of the people that ran the red, like the crosswalk light, people look at you like you're stupid. Like you didn't get away with anything. Like, cause like, I feel like also like even like when I, and it was a kind of a culture shock to me because I, I feel like that's so normal in America. Mm-hmm. But like, even like when you, when we rode the bus from, I forget what district we were coming from, but we're on our way to Seoul. There was literally not even kidding you like, taxis that come in but nobody was cutting one another like everybody took their turn mm-hmm. follow the rules and i'm like in america people would try to skip ahead and be like well that sucks for you i'm just gonna go you know what i'm saying right and i feel like there are some there's just some things that i feel like you can see that the culture informs their decision to just self-quarantine whatever they're doing over there. for sure for sure i think it is the whole um i gotta sacrifice my individual joys to protect the collective and I, I think that's why it's easier when korea says hey quarantine yourself so that you don't spread it it's easier to say that because people um just in the very fiber of their being through their culture that they've been raised in they take that and they take it to heart and say okay i'm gonna go quarantine but here where yeah. the individual freedom and happiness is higher and more important when you hear hey quarantine yourself, be miserable for two weeks so that you don't, you know, affect the people around you. If you don't like the people around you, then you're going to be like, screw it. I'm just going to go out and live my life. I don't care. Right. So I think, yeah. Yeah. So that's why the the question of, do we need to take away some civil liberties um, during times like this is more relevant in America because of that difference, I think. But. I'm afraid. Here's what, here's, I'm a conspiracy theorist to mm-hmm. some extent. I don't want to get into anything, but let's say a martial law was imposed uh-huh. and the election happens and then somebody's like, well, we're going to change the communism. I don't know the extent of the power that the presidential authority has to make that, that kind of decision, but like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm guessing if martial law was imposed basically they can do whatever i don't know yeah i need to read up more on that people mm-hmm. you guys should read more about u.s power and law because it will help inform these states for you anyway yeah truth truth yeah i mean we would if we knew more about it we could have a more informed conversation about it but yeah i don't i don't really know much about what powers because i know under martial law it's the president has pretty much command over the the army right like i don't know i don't know what how how much of that is but yeah no it's a it's an interesting thought it's an interesting conversation because what if we do need to go to martial law yeah i don't know we'll see with the second wave we'll find out yeah yeah coming soon just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no but no they say that regardless it's it's gonna happen um until we have a vaccine until we have a treatment that can lessen the symptoms of covid19 it's inevitable for for there to be a second wave because there are even studies in Korea saying that 
the antibodies of someone who had COVID-19 isn't really helping stopping that person from getting COVID-19 again. Like, it's weird. Mm-hmm. You would think that once you have it, you build an immunity to it, so you'd be fine. But I think there were some articles saying that, that like, the antibodies might not be that helpful. It might be there's more than one strand. Is that what it is? Yeah, because even the flu shot, if I, I believe I I think I read this at work. The current flu shot that you get yearly, annually, only covers about 30% of flu, flu strands that we currently know mm-hmm. about. Because it's not absolute. I've actually had the flu before, and it does suck, but I wasn't, like, about to die or anything. But, mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's hard, yeah. That's why I'm wondering, what's the data they're looking at? Yeah. Looking, like, about. Yeah. So, oh, we're past the hour mark. So, guys, um, this conversation, I'm really glad we had it. Junie, I think it was is very yeah. relevant to our community and the times that we're in right now. Um, so thank you so much for being on. Guys, if any of the things that we talked about resonated with you, or if there are things that you need to correct us on, like we didn't do <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do any research. Um, this is all based off of just information we had readily available in our heads. Um, so we we understand and completely accept except that we might have been wrong on some of the things we said um yes. please feel free to reach out at uh ihtht podcast at gmail.com that's i hope they hear this abbreviated um podcast at gmail.com or on instagram at i hope they hear this or on twitter at ihtht podcast <laughs> and uh the video is going to be on youtube um watch you should watch the video to see the transition from Junie's really dark room to a brightly lit room the moment yeah. that he turned his lights on. <laughs> um, so, Junie, th- thanks so much for being on. Is there any last words or any last thoughts you wanted to say? Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I love being on, love talking with you. Um, also, Jane and I always say, like, it's so cool that you're championing and pioneering for the local businesses through the uh, 1200 challenge that you have going on. I think it's actionable and inspirational and basically i think a way for our community to be present for one another wow and i'm like really appreciative that you're doing that um yeah love your podcast man thanks bro this is the pod father everybody yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you thank you yes. um but I, I'm, I'm hoping to have more of these kind of conversational podcasts because i remember the second time you came on the time you came on after zealand we i remember talking and saying oh we should do a conversational one but i think that was still kind of just uh, more of your story which was good which I, I liked but i'm hoping to be able to in the future continue some of these uh topical conversational podcasts and yeah. you're you're so good to talk about um with these kind of things so i'm gonna have you on more often <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man i love it it's amazing awesome awesome Well, thank you guys for listening. Jenny, thank you for being on. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.